Hey there, thank you for coming and hanging out for a little bit. This is Beacon Road. I'm your host, Rich Levesque. This episode is going to be called Gear Change. And the whole premise of it is just we're going to discuss how you, know, you can be in the middle of a situation doesn't really matter what the situation is, but it could be tension-filled, it could be ordinary, it could be anything, really. And then all of a sudden, something new or something just gets snapped into the mix, and all of a sudden, what's ha- whatever was happening in the moment just stops. And you're locked into the present moment, either by want or by force. And this can happen in a couple of different ways, of course. There's the obvious, you know, some big emergency or tragedy or some god-awful thing just comes and it forces you to take the energy that you had in whatever was going on in the moment and you need to either act or react to the emergency that's around you or maybe you're not directly involved but you still have to process what the hell you just saw or heard or otherwise experienced it that stuff just kind of you know you can also kind of go the other way with it and make it a little bit light you know for Instance, you know, you might have a tense situation where, and then all of a sudden, a song everybody likes comes on, or something funny or awkward or weird happens that takes the attention away from what's happening, and you just kind of either laugh over that or otherwise react. It's really kind of an interesting phenomenon that we're so able to just change gears on a dime when the situation dictates that we do that. So we're going to kind of talk about that. You know, the first segment of that is going to be a little bit lighter. We'll talk about you know, fun or amusing moments where that happens. And then we'll follow that up by getting a little more serious and talking about when it happens in the case of an emergency or a tragedy. So let's get started. This is Speaking Road. Thank you for listening to Beacon Road. My name is Rich Levesque. So a few days back, I threw some questions up for looking for some responses that I could riff off for the podcast. And the first question went as follows. I would love to hear about situations that felt like they could be really tense. And then something happened to distract everyone from the tension and put everyone on the same page. For example, song pops on the radio and everyone forgets that they're quarreling and starts singing along. So... 
Let me kind of elaborate on that example because it's kind of an amusing story. Um, recently, um, around a group of four people and I found there was kind of an interesting undercurrent to them. It was clear that there was some subtle stuff happening. You know, one person was just really disliking another and, you know, they weren't being directly nasty, but you know how somebody can say something complimentary, but the tone of their voice indicates that they mean something entirely different that's not so nice. Yeah, there was a lot of that going on. And at another point, it was clear that there was only one person in, in the group that knew their exact next destination and was deciding to not share that information with everybody else. And the more the others started to ask him about it, he just kept being coy and just not really answering the question. And they just all kind of gradually got more and more pissy. It wasn't a situation they thought was going to become volatile in any way, shape, or form. But I was kind of wishing I had some popcorn because it was starting to get a little entertaining. And then, all of a sudden, out of the blue... To save the day was Pat Benatar. That is right. 70s and 80s rock goddess Pat Benatar coming through in the clutch. Now, let me just sidetrack for a minute about Ms. Benatar. Because I highly recommend... checking out some of her more recent shows on YouTube. In particular, um, her and her husband, Neil Gerardo, did a tiny desk on NPR. Um, I'm hooked on those. They should be mandatory study for everybody anyway. If you look them up on NPR, they're also on YouTube. But anyway... I just loved paying attention to the chemistry and the connection between the two of them. You know, they've been together probably about 40 years and, you know, I was married like 33 or 35, I don't remember, and I'm not going to look it up. But they just really having a blast with each other in a way that you really just can't bullshit this. Just, you know, completely, you know, goofing on each other, teasing each other, and just, but also, you know, you know, looking like a couple of kids in a fresh new relationship. Still just totally just digging on each other and, you know, just the way he looked at her and she at him. It, it, it's cool to see that. But anyway, let me get back on point. The story of how Pat Benatar saved the tension on that Saturday night. It was like instantaneous, that first line. We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand. You'll be all right. Just 
boom, all of a sudden, it just, as soon as that blasted through, like, Kool-Aid Man blowing through a brick wall, because that's just how that song just goes. Everything stopped on a dime, and every single person just started screaming out the lyrics full throttle. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the end. Ah, such a kick-ass tune that I just totally did not give justice to. And so timely, it just... I was just floored by how it just really just changed everything. That whole mood just went... It was so cool. No more bickering or backbiting. At least while they were with me, it could have changed later, but that wasn't my problem. So, with that background, I kind of wanted to pose the question about things that might happen that just change gears in a current situation. And I got a response from Lee who wrote, not to be crude, but a well-timed fart works wonders to cut the tension. Cut the cheese, cut the stress. All right, that was terrible, but oh well. I mean, it can kind of be an unexpected event unless you've got a group of boys with you. And at that point, you should probably expect that everything's going to come to farts. But it often leads to some degree of laughter or at least distraction. Either from the fart itself or other people and their silly reactions to the farts. If I had a dollar for every car ride as a youngin that turned into laughter instigated by a gassy tuba or trumpet. Well, probably wouldn't need to shill t-shirts, would I? But, you know what? It does connect me to a story where Farting not only busted a tense situation, but also managed to clear out a bloody bowling alley. Alright, so I'm in college and I bring a friend home for the weekend. And we end up going to the bowling alley with a friend that was local. You know, they had just met. And, you know, know, at the time, the bowling alley was pretty much the thing you were stuck doing on a Saturday night around here. So that's what we did. And we went to play pool. And as the night progressed, it was really clear that these guys were not getting along. And they were just not going to like each other. Like, Was one of them going to crack the other over the head with a pool cue kind of dislike going on? You know, I tried to ignore it and pretend I didn't see it, but... There's some things you just really can't not see. 
then suddenly the friend that I brought home had this internal ruckus going on between his intestines and whatever the hell we had for dinner. There was no warning. There was no noise. Just olfactory torture. Unavoidable torture. It just... One by god-awful one. The bombs just kept coming. Each one gradually worse than the other. Oh. He, he tried walking away and going off into a corner to, to fart, but it didn't matter. They, they just kept coming at us in waves. And it wasn't just us at the front. The vile stench just permeated through the entire damn bowling alley. You, you realize, for the most part, bowling alleys are freaking huge. You would think that it would be really hard to or almost impossible to subject an entire bowling alley to this intestinal strife. But he pulled it off. He pulled it off. People at the counter were making faces and you knew they're like, what's going on with like looking at each other, thinking, is that you? No, and gradually, one by one, group by group, people started to leave. Like literally, people were streaming out of the bowling alley because this one dude could not contain his volcano of stink. And yeah, well, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. These guys have stopped with their bullshit. They're too busy laughing at you know, for different reasons. One was laughing with me because, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, my college friend couldn't stop laughing because he was just so freaking embarrassed by what was going on. It was... You know, these guys weren't exactly going to send Christmas cards to each other, but in a way, it did manage to bring about some kind of a truce. If only for a night. Peace. In the form of a potential hazmat situation. Who knew? Thanks, Lee, for that unintended trip down memory lane. Gonna take a breather here for a second and go to the next response, which is gonna be a lot more serious. So it, it seems like a good time for a break. 
You are listening to Beacon Road. Be right back. And welcome back to Beacon Road. This is Rich Levesque. We're still talking about changing gears. When you're in the middle of a particular situation and all of a sudden everything just changes on a dime. And we went a little lighter in the last segment and we're going to go a little bit more serious here. Kind of changing gears about changing gears. Karen brings up the following response to the question I posted on social. Anything that snaps you into the present moment. Oftentimes, emergency situations will do this, like an accident, fire, etc. Could be people directly involved or even somewhere when tragic news breaks. True story, so much so. How many times has a sudden tragedy or emergency just stopped us in our tracks? You know, things like what Karen just mentioned or could possibly be a sudden medical emergency or other big thing that's just going to take precedent in the moment that pushes everything off to the side because now you've got to expend all your energy on either responding to that or trying to process what you just saw or heard or experienced. Because of what I did for so many years as a 911 operator slash emergency dispatcher, I got to have a front row seat in so many of these kind of moments. Oftentimes on the board, there had to be laser focus on staying in the moment. You having to make sure you're getting the appropriate information from those on scene as to what exactly was going on so that I could send the appropriate help who needed to be there. How many did I need to send? Um, What equipment was going to be needed? What kind of auxiliary help was going to be needed? What else was I going to have to call in? There's just so many calls, decisions that just need to be made in a flash and... There's just no margin for screwing up. That's just, you know, that's just the nature of the gig. You just deal with it in the moment. You do your job and then process it later. Of course, far more times over the years process meant a trip to the liquor cabinet because that was all I knew how to do to process some of the things that I heard and observed. But anyway, in the middle of all of that, the thing that's so easy to neglect in the moment because of all you need to do to keep focus on your job and keep your own shit together is that 
that current moment is more than likely going to be among the, if not the worst, scariest, most painful moment in that person or those people's experience. Somebody's lowest low. And, you know, there's going to be the energy that comes from that. Often, multiple times a shift. And, you know, that's just the nature of the gig. But it does steal you to a lot of other stuff. I don't necessarily expect that to make sense for most people. And it really shouldn't. But other dispatchers, yeah. I mean, how many times were you, you know, sitting in a station, either, you know, watching a game or a show or, you know, bullshitting about whatever, kind of either telling a funny story about what happened on a day off or, you know, grousing about something that happened earlier or all these other, like, where things that would just kind of, you know, things that you just kind of chat about over the course of an 8 or 12 or 16 hour tour. And then next thing you know, bang, you're on your way to a shots fired call or a house fire or a bad car accident. Just, that was just a thing that was you know it was just a thing that you kind of learned to get used to you used to just kind of get used to those big overwhelming momentum shifts and all you knew was to lock into that But, all right, let me step back from that for a second and kind of go down another path. And, you know, the obvious answer for a lot of us are those big, tragic, overwhelming, you knew where you were when you heard kind of experiences and you know depending on your age we've all got you know certain posts of that um, for those that are older you know it'd be something like the JFK assassination you know I could ask my parents and they could tell you exactly where they were and what was going on and tell you about every little detail of that day. You know, for myself growing up, the you know, the Challenger disaster was the was a big one. You know, I was in sixth grade and you know, like many, many, many kids that day because, you know, because of Krista McAuliffe, you know, the teacher going up in space, schools stopped everything and put TVs in the room so everybody could watch the launch. Nobody expected we were going to be witness to what it was that we saw. You know, a day like that, you can, you know, even though I was, let's see, sixth grade, so it would have made me, oh God, 12, 11, 12, doesn't matter. 
but that was seared in clear as a bell. And, you know, we just kind of were like, okay, well, what do we do now? And, you know, the teachers didn't really have any answers because they were trying to process it too. You know, of course, the big obvious one was, you know, September 11th of 01. Every one of us knows where we were and what we were doing and what the rest of that day and the next few looked like and felt like and what we could and couldn't process. And knowing that everyone was kind of in that same boat of panic and confusion and upset, I've... You know, kind of written about that in a couple of different ways and, you know, it's up on the website if you want to look through it on beaconroad.net. I just kind of want to throw something, you know, a little different and fresh out there and not rehash the same things over and over. I don't know, maybe it's a writer thing or a specific weird me thing, but I can talk of another probably more local experience. April of 2013, the Boston Marathon bombing. It's just another you know, Monday holiday in Massachusetts. We have Patriots Day. You know, the Red Sox play a game at home at 11 a.m. So that way the game's over in time for people to leave the park and go and check out the finish line. So they just won. And I celebrated by the riveting activity of going to pick up some groceries because apparently that's how I rolled in 2013. So I'm working my way around my local independent grocer. At that point was on a kick of let's have TVs going at different points in the store. They've been long gone now, but they were up then. And I first got in the store. I went to go into the, I don't remember. Maybe I was headed toward the bathroom or something. But I noticed that the TV going toward that area was still on the Red Sox postgame show. But they were showing what looked like smoke coming from the area of the finish line and I mean at that point it was probably the first attention I'd given to the marathon the whole day you know just running long distances ain't my jam watching people run long distances also ain't my jam it so it didn't and as I was going by it didn't process what I was seeing like, I didn't, it just didn't click through. I was just like, oh, maybe a mean or something like that. Like, I didn't really process. I went, kind of did my thing and kind of started my shopping, worked my way toward the front of the store where there's a little bit of a cafe and there's another TV up there and there's a lot of people crowded around it, which is kind of a red flag. It's not a thing you see very often or at all. So I, you know, worked my way over to, you know, remembering seeing the smoke that I, and I was just kind of like, oh, wait, no, this is, this is kind of a thing. I still wasn't completely clear what it was that I was seeing. So I'm watching and a gentleman that was next to me is like, that's a bomb. 
and I'm st- I'm like I turn I'm like are you sure? That's that's not a gas main. The, you, are you sure about that? And he looked at me like straight on, and I knew he wasn't bullshitting me. He was like, "Look, I used to work with this stuff in the military. I promise you, that's a bomb." And then it just kind of slapped me in the place, and you know what? So we're watching, maybe about two minutes later. And at this point, it wasn't the post game anymore. It was one of the news channels out of Boston. And they confirmed his observation. And after, you know, several minutes of just kind of watching in shock like everybody else, it, it kind of clicked to me that. The only thing I was really accomplishing in that moment was just being in people's way. So I went to go finish my shopping and check out. And I was a little bit distracted. I'd forgotten multiple things. And like most of us, we went home and just couldn't stop watching the coverage. But I do remember watching people on site just snap it into action on scene. Of course, the first responders, like starting from the ones you couldn't see, like the call takers and the dispatchers in HQ trying to process the overload of information coming through and get it under control to be able to get it back out to those that needed it and then there were the first responders on scene with the help of a lot of bystanders that were just trying to get as many of the injured to the hospital as fast as possible and there were still others even runners that were making their ways to the hospital as well to offer to donate blood you know people trying to connect with loved ones away from the area to let them know they were safe and other people hauling tail trying to get into Boston because they knew their loved ones weren't. And then after the next couple of days, the focus went into trying to find and apprehend the bombers. Took them a couple of days to figure out who it was they were looking for. And then that's when Things got really nuts. Remember, it was a couple of days later that the news broke in. There was an incident involving an MIT officer getting shot in his cruiser and involved into the identified the car and found it in Watertown and it turned into a shootout out there and it was a really surreal scene Um, one of the bombers was killed and all that as well as a um, and then another officer was shot as well he was an MBTA officer that made it through but it was very touch and go for a while. And I remember I was up that whole night and I did one thing that I never, ever did before or since in my years of working in 911. I popped on a police scanner and I was listening to everything. I just couldn't pull away. You know, over the course, you kind of figured out what was going on. The other bomber managed to flee the scene. And the next day, which I believe was Friday, that entire city, the entire area just shut down. They closed everything. 
I think it was school vacations. I think the schools were closed anyway, but all offices, all stores, all business, everybody shut. Like, a lot of times if there's like a weather or emergency or something like that, you know, there's people that are like, we're going to open anyway because we can. But that was none of that. Everything just shut down. The Red Sox were going to have a game that night. They canceled it. They, you know, nothing was open. And after some searching and some ups and downs, they ended up locating them and there's another shootout, but they're able to apprehend them. But I don't know if that's something I'll ever see again. Just the way a whole city just volunteered to just stay out of the way and let the police and the feds and those who needed to do things do the things. It's still incredible just thinking about it. So anyway, that's kind of where I went with that. And Does that question bring up anything for you? If so, shoot me a line. I'd love to hear about it. Thank you for listening to Beacon Road. welcome back. I just want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Beacon Road. Thank you for taking the time to listen to what I have to say. Ultimately, for as much as we talk about money or possessions or other stuff, and how much value that has. Our most valuable commodity is always going to be time. That's the one that's going to be finite. We have a limited amount, each one of us. And you're choosing to spend it with me. And I hope it was worthwhile and... I thank you deeply for that. Now let me talk a little bit more about what exactly it is we're trying to do here. Beacon Road. Yeah, it, you know, I'm going to write about and I'm going to talk about a number of different topics. But what I'm ultimately trying to do is and I'll keep coming back to this I see a world where we're gradually more and more lost and hurting and you know trying to figure out who the hell we are and yet still try to fit into the roles and expectations that are put upon us and all of that together creates a you know it can create pain and fear and you now a lot of us are just kind of Wandering around lost and alone. Even if it feels like we're in a crowd. And, you know, I'm not saying that with any agenda or 
expectation about what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to be individual and I really don't care what your agendas are. I just, I see, I see a world that's hurting. I see a world that's lashing out. I see a world that's internalizing a lot of pain. I see anger and hate spewing out. And I see, you know, more and more violence and more and more, you know, people trying to stuff their pain and calm it with things that they get addicted to and I see people that just they can't do it anymore and they have to they have to end it and you're seeing suicide rates going up and I see people's mental and physical health not being where it should be even though we've got so many more options and tools at our disposal that should help with these things you know we're all kind of a mess out here and I don't have a lot of solutions I'm certainly not an expert I'm not a professional. I'm not a coach. I'm not anything like that. And I'm not really here to give advice or any of that sort of thing. I can tell you what works for me or what works. I've seen work for others. But it it seems what's needed more is you know, support, space, having somebody say, I see you, I feel you, I understand you, I get you. You're welcome here. Come on in. And that's really what we're trying to create. And just using the tools I have at my disposal to be able to do so. Basically, if you're out there and you're looking for a friend, let me be that friend. Looking for a parent, let let me take that dad role. Let me be space and let me support you. And likewise, you'll be doing the same for me. All these connections that I'm making help me just as much as they're helping anybody else. And that's really how it's supposed to work. It really is a village. It really is a tribe. No matter how much we're taught otherwise. So, whatever you know calls to you, if you feel that's part of what you want to be involved with, there's a lot of different ways. If you're a business, you can sponsor the podcast or you can sponsor a website or other things you have going on. So you go to the website, beaconroad.net. There's going to be a lot of my writing and my thoughts and thoughts of some friends of mine that are up there and available. Also got resource lists for people for physical, mental health, and well-being. And we're adding to it all the time. 
you can check those out and we've got our own little you know beacon road shop that has t-shirts and coffee cups and other things to purchase and you're more than welcome to come and check everything out and if you feel compelled to donate directly there is a PayPal link on the site that can help you do that also available on social media on Twitter at Beacon Road 10 Beacon Road the number 10 on Instagram at Beacon Road on Facebook at Beacon Road I also have a Mighty Network set up that's a secure community where people can kind of post and either share a story or seek out support or just a place somebody wants to go and be heard. You can look up Beacon Road on Mighty Networks or there's a direct link directly through my website, which is again, beaconroad.net. Again, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to hang out and just keep a lookout for future episodes on all the usual suspects. I will post them on my website. They'll also be available on Anchor and Apple and Spotify and other places as well. Hope to see you again soon. Take care.